Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications, recording from Tel Aviv. And I'm Eli Koaz, Communications Director, recording from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Vancouver, BC. Yeah, did that take you by surprise, Evan? I mean, usually I'm the one in Tel Aviv. I landed in Tel Aviv uh, the other day looking for you all over, and I couldn't find you. I'm sorry I had to hop over the pond, but um, but I'll be back there. As, as, as we would hope. Um, I, I have to tell you, Eli, before we get started, you may be a little disappointed in me. For our listeners, Eli gave me some food recommendations, and uh, you had told me to go to Jasmino, but when I got there, there was a line around the block, and I didn't want to be away from... Uh, from our mobile office for too long, so I went to McDonald's. Oh, you went to, yeah, of course, and that goes back to your love of, of chain restaurants and consistency and, and science in, in everything you eat. I, I, I've tried a few new restaurants here. and I've, You then should I've have waited in them. the line, and I encourage you in the future to, to wait in, in the line as well. It is, it is one of the best pitas in the Holy Land, without a doubt. I'll I'll take it under consideration maybe for tomorrow, but there are a lot of things to be considering right now, not just whether or not I'll go back to McDonald's or try something new, which is a personal choice, uh, but also the choices that Israelis are going to have coming up in September when they head to the polls. For election news, Kachol Levan still somewhat dormant, although there was a little bit of infighting that we can talk about. Um, the joint list is back. The four Israeli Arab parties now running again on one list like they did in 2015, as opposed to in 2019 when they split into two separate tickets. And, of course, the continuing saga of Avigdor Lieberman, who has kept himself at the top of the news cycle for now about three weeks since he stopped Netanyahu from forming a coalition uh, that would have granted the prime minister immunity. So um, those are some of the things that we're keeping an eye on as the elections play out. Um, Eli, what caught your eye this week? Well, I just want to talk uh, talk about blue and white Kholavan and the, 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 inter- the most interesting thing. Um, I mean, this is what everybody talked about in April elections as what would have made the difference was if Yair Lapid were to give up uh, the rotation agreement, uh, this odd rotation agreement, which kind of the first time we even, I think, saw it in Israeli politics was in 2015 with Tsipi Livni and uh, Buzi Herzog, where there were there was an agreement that one would serve as prime minister for the first two, two and a half years, and they'd, they'd be replaced. Well, we we had seen it, it, it. We'd seen it in the context of a national unity government. Yeah, but again, that's something completely different. That I mean, that was with Shamir and Perez when they were unable, to, as part of neither of them could form their own coalition. They had to form a coalition together, and they decided. Right, right. it was rota- rotation between two parties. So what you're saying is this: this is a first for one party. Yeah, one campaigning one party. on a joint kind of rotation ticket. Like, there's a question of whether or not it's even like uh, how it can be implemented. Because uh, you would have to, for the prime ministers to switch, kind of the government needs to, I think that the, you have to kind of dissolve the government and then build the government uh, again. Um, and in 2015, uh, it was uh, Livni that gave up her part of the rotation because she saw that it could possibly help in the polls 
when Netanyahu was kind of surging in the in the last few days with his first Gewalt campaign. So there's a lot of talk in Blue and White um, about Lapid kind of doing the same. There was talk in the April elections. Lapid is is less popular uh, than Gantz, especially. Uh, I mean, the the key for Blue and White to win was always to be able to bring voters over from the Likud or from like the what's called kind of the soft soft right, and they weren't able to do that. And uh, a lot of people say that a lot of that was to do with Yair Lapid. Um, in all of the Likud kind of advertising and campaigning, they would always mention you'll wake up with Lapid as prime minister. You wouldn't hear you'll wake up with Gantz as prime minister. So, I mean, that's something that's go- going to be interesting to see. And that kind of came back to the news uh, this week because uh, Bogi Yalon, the head of the Telem party and uh, number, well, I think he's number three on the blue and white uh, list. Uh, he said uh, that it would be better if Lapid were to give up on the rotation agreement. And this comes after uh, Kaholovan said that they will keep in this election, they will run in the exact same formula as last election, meaning they'll keep the rotation agreement. Um, so we'll have to see. I, 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 my assumption is that pressure will mount on Lapid, um, but again, I don't know if it will be enough. Um, and I don't know really uh, if there's any way to judge about what the exact effect will have. But if it is an effect that could bring two, maybe three seats over from the soft right, uh, then it could be the difference between the, which party forms the next government. Right. And that all has to do with the impression that Lapid is left wing or the sense that Netanyahu has sought to drive home over the years that Lapid is left wing. And Lapid has always sought to escape that label but clearly not to great effect. And I think that it's an interesting inverse from what's going on with Lieberman now, uh, because when we watch the next round of elections for September unfold and the decision to dissolve the Knesset move into elections, which was, of course, uh, Avigdor Lieberman uh, played really a central role in triggering that, uh, Netanyahu came out and said Lieberman is a leftist. Lieberman is trying to install a left-wing government. Um, And according to some of the polling that was coming out in the uh, Russian-language media uh, this week, Lieberman's voters, or the Russian-speaking Israelis, aren't buying that story, that Lieberman is a leftist, Um, which, of course, is is a very tough sell because he he is anything but. Um, But on the flip side... Clearly, that's stuck uh, with Lapid, and that's something that he has always had to grapple with, and he's tried very hard, um, I would say sometimes inauthentically, to cast himself as anything but left. Um, But, uh, you know, and I don't think his personal views are necessarily very left-wing, but he he tries to put on this sort of pretend right face um, in order to appeal to more people, Um, but... You know, as with many politicians who try to present themselves as something that they're not, uh, to me, it never seemed incredibly convincing. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's interesting to look at. I mean, you mentioned Lieberman. Uh, Lieberman, for for the longest time, said he would never recommend Gantz as a candidate for prime minister. And last week, for the first time, I mean, he, he got on, this was a prime time Israeli TV interview, 
and he said that we need a national emergency unity government. This was as a result of all the stuff going on with the United Right-Wing Parties and with the ultra-Orthodox parties um, about from, like, bring back uh, uh, the law of, like, or not bring back, implementing, like, a halachic uh, legal system, like a Jewish biblical legal system and all sorts of other things. And Rafi Peretz, the head of the United Right-Wing uh, list being appointed Minister of Education. So Lieberman got on TV and said, we need an emergency unity government that is comprised of Likud, Blue and White, and uh, Israel Betenu. Right, and he, he recommended that knowing full well that uh, Kahol Avan is not going to sit in a government with Likud if Netanyahu is at the head of the government. That was always the whole deal, that Kahol Avan's ideal situation was a unity government with Likud, but with a Likud that leaves out Netanyahu, because Netanyahu's whole goal here is to have legislated immunity, and Kahol Avan campaigned on not giving that to him. So this is sort of, in my mind, Lieberman's backdoor way of sticking it to Netanyahu. And if you look at what uh, Lieberman has said in interviews, people have asked him, well, would you? what if this has consequences for Netanyahu and he doesn't end up prime minister? And Lieberman has started to say more openly, well, it's not my responsibility to make uh, Netanyahu prime minister. I don't owe that to him. Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, at least what, he, what he's been saying, you can, his comments that he would never recommend Gantz as prime minister, I think... I think we can put th- those to rest. Obviously, there would have to be a different result in the election. But I mean, this just kind of points to if we thought that uh, the entire reason we're, we went to repeat elections was because of this Haredi draft bill, uh, a lot of it, uh, it looks like this is really Lieberman's attempt that he's just going to try his best to take down Netanyahu. I mean... That's the kind of impression I'm getting from him. Right, and Netanyahu is going to try his best to take down Lieberman and and to put him put him aside once and for all. And you know what I think has been lost in this whole conversation about Lieberman is that Lieberman really lucked into this position where he was kingmaker. If he got one less seat, or if another right wing party got one more seat then he would be totally irrelevant. This was Lieberman's worst showing in terms of number of seats. Um, he was about 30,000 votes above, above the threshold, which is not that much. Um, you know, it was enough that he wasn't at the bare minimum of four seats. He was at five seats, but still, it's his worst showing ever. 30,000 isn't that many votes. Yeah, if the new right got, got 1,500 more votes, then we'd be in a situation where also Lieberman would become irrelevant. So, Right, So, so what? so I think that this is a very tenuous situation for Lieberman. Uh, it's not the air that he gives off. He, he, he's very confident in the way he presents himself. Um, but there was uh, the report that you had told me about, Eli, uh, in Chadashot, uh, that Likud was considering a new strategy of dealing with Lieberman, of just ignoring him altogether. Now, I think Netanyahu has become so paranoid as of late and uh, a little obsessive. I don't think he'll be able to uh, discipline himself and stick to the strategy where he has to ignore Net- uh, where he has to ignore Lieberman. I think that Netanyahu is going to want to stick it to Lieberman at every juncture, at every possible angle. But if they really were able to follow through with the strategy and really just ignore Lieberman and let it be, I think that would take a lot of the wind out of his campaign because uh, a lot of the momentum that Lieberman has had is 
this continued coverage is keeping himself at the top of the news cycle and keeping himself relevant with his religion and state issue. And if Netanyahu can spin things in a way that people aren't talking about this in 90 days, then uh, or a little under 90 days, then that could have really negative consequences for Lieberman. Yeah, definitely. So I think those are two things to watch. I mean, watch what ha- what's happening with, with Lieberman, how he's doing in the polls, and also look to see uh, how Kaholavan blue and white how they shape their campaign if this pressure mounts on on uh, Lapid it could either like cause even a breakup of blue and white on one hand or the other hand it could cause uh, Lapid to give up uh, the rotation and we'll see how that that changes things um, last week we talked about uh, two upcoming primaries uh, in the Israeli left or center left or however you want to call it Labor Party and Merits. Um, so those are kind of taking shape. Right. And, and there have been some changes since last week. Uh, for example, last week we talked about the idea of this joint ticket between uh, Isawi Frej and Mosi Raz uh, to have an Arab Jewish joint leadership of Merits with two chairpersons. And they have since dropped out of the race and are now supporting Tamar Zanberg. Ilan uh, Gilon is supporting Nitzan Horowitz uh, for the Merits leadership. Um, so, you know, th- things change quickly in the span of just a week. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I, that was after Merritt's had their, the Merritt Central Committee got together and they couldn't decide on one particular, uh, I mean, I, I think a bunch of different things were proposed and they couldn't decide on one. So they kind of reverted to what happened in last like election and they're doing their primaries uh, again, the leadership race. Um and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think the fact that it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be just between two candidates, um, I think that works probably in Nitsan Horowitz's favor um, just because of uh, Tamar Zandberg. Uh, she's not that popular in a lot of the party, but, it, but we'll have to see. I mean, it's going to be, uh, it's definitely going to be tight. Um, and then turning to Labor Party, uh, there uh, we're going to have another, I think, very tight race with the three candidates right now that have declared uh, their candidacy. Amir Peretz, former head of labor and former uh, defense minister. Um, and then uh, Itzik Shmuley, uh, who, was, uh, who won uh, the primaries uh, for last elections and stop Shafir who came in second in those primaries um, Shmuley and Shafir obviously two of the leaders of the, the social the 2011 social protests on Rothschild Boulevard um, they're very popular among younger uh, parts of the party and Shmuley in fact is just he's very popular kind of across the board because of all his work also for senior citizens of Israel. Um, he's also one of the most well-regarded, uh, uh, MKs from like, if you look at like on both sides of the aisle kind of thing, uh, from Likud and, uh, and others. Um, and so we'll have to see, uh, Stav Shafir is taking a very aggressive, uh, She's taking a very like aggressive approach to her campaign. She's like demanding of this week. She was demanding of Hamir Peretz and Itzik Shmuley to show up for a d- debate, for a televised debate. Um, 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how that uh, plays out. And then uh, Amir Perez is obviously, he, he's kind of the old guard of labor. So this is kind of, is labor going to go back to what was kind of successful? I mean, Amir Peretz had a pretty good showing uh, for labor in, I believe it was 2006, uh, when he, he he finished in second, I believe, with 19 seats. So I'll have to double-check behind Ehud Olmert's Kadima. Um uh, do they go back to that, uh, or do they kind of do something new completely? And Stav Shafir or Shmuley would be a completely new, new face to the to the party. Yeah, I mean it's a tough question because you're looking at a party that just went in a direction that was uh, neither the direction that uh, Amir Peretz would take it, nor where um, Stav Shafir or Itzik Shmuley would take it, which was how the party was faring under Avi to the grave. Yeah, that was exactly the direction it was. It was going. It was going straight six feet under under Avi Gabay, uh, who was not from labor. That wasn't his political home. You know, he took it in a direction away both from the where, where these next generation activists and leaders, Itzik Shmuley and Stav Shafir, would probably like to see it, and away from where it had been under someone like Amir Peretz, who's a veteran parliamentarian, and had been, as you mentioned, a leader of the party previously, and led it to its worst showing ever, you know, six seats. This is not a, a ruling or former ruling party of Israel. This is uh, essentially a special interest party. You know, It's a showing comparable to what you would get for uh, Meretz or Hadash or uh, Yisrael Beitenu, uh, but this was the party that founded and ran Israel almost in a... a single-party state capacity for, for 30 years in various forms. And now it's a, a party that people talk about not maybe not passing the threshold. And uh, so I, I don't have an answer as far as who should be the leader, who, who will be the leader. But what I will say is that you have people like uh, Stav Shavir and Itzik Shmuley who are younger, and it's kind of sad in a way that this is where they made their political home. You know, you, you can't blame them necessarily, but they're people who would maybe have more national reach or more uh, realistic national ambitions if they had ended up in a different party. Um, but, you know, that's 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 where they, they started off, and it's gone downhill since. Maybe they'll be able to restore... What's interesting about, I mean, what you just said is that most of the things that the Labour Party stand for are supported by the majority of Israelis if we're talking about like across the board uh, social welfare state um, uh, separation from the Palestinians like things that like uh, Shafir and Shmuley especially talk about if it's public transportation on Shabbat uh, if it's uh, civil marriage uh, becoming legal these are all things that are supported by I mean we're talking about 70-80% of uh, of of Jews in Israel, and so like I don't know if it's uh, I mean obviously in the last election, which was the worst uh, showing in the history of labor, we had Kachol Avan, um, a part like what was kind of like an unprecedented party where you had three uh, former chiefs of staff uh, join up. So obviously they ate a lot of votes. Uh, that were just that would would be at labor voters like they would be like people that voted for their entire life labor voted in the last election for blue and white just like uh, people voted their entire life merits 
did the same. And if we just go back one election to 2015, uh, labor had one of their best results in, in the past uh, like two decades. So I think we need to like before like jumping the gun about la- the Labor Party being being dead and and how they picked this party and they don't it, it, what doesn't give them reach. I mean, the Labor Party used to be the party of of the Israeli like periphery like as well. I mean, uh, people people all across Israel voted for. Well, there there were there weren't there weren't so many other options, and they they were also in control of a lot of the institutions of society. I mean, the Labor Party. And its antecedents started the Histadrut, the the big labor union, um, and a lot of the other functions that people just interacted with. You re- I loved I loved that pronunciation yeah. of yeah of the word. No, do your interview. Do it again. Do it again. I want to hear Histadrut. So in, in any case, a lot of the institutions that people were interacting with in their daily life. So yes, people maybe voted for them all over the place, but uh, they kicked a lot of people around. Well, um, well, what's interesting about what's interesting about that is if you look at the 2006 elections, where Amir Peretz, uh, obviously Amir Peretz is a, uh, uh, I believe he was born in uh, in Morocco. Um, he uh, he had an. I mean, obviously, 2006 is, what, 13 years ago? But he won cities like Kiryat Shmona, a city that voted, like, in the last election, I, I, I can pull up the stats, but I think they were, like, 50% Likud. He won Kiryat Shmona in 2006. He, he, so, I mean, that's looking at kind of a different, an option uh, where you, you have a candidate who really, who performed very well in, in cities that are just complete, like, Likud uh, domination these days. So that's something interesting. Uh, right. I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but even even in the last election or last last election in 2015, where as you're right, uh, Labor polled. I think if you if you count out uh, Tzipi Livni's party from Zionist Union, I think Labor individually had 19 seats. Um, it's still, you know, falling from a position where they were 20 years before that. It's a pretty big drop off. And the 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 center and left block as a whole has shrunk in that time. So obviously, you know, it's Shmuley and Stav Shafir are not going to join a right wing party. Uh, so their their options are somewhat limited in that regard. Um, and you are right about Kacholavan eating up votes from these other parties. Uh, but what I think is that Labor has a base. Um, you know, no matter how many people become disaffected on the fringes or how many people. Uh, that someone like Amir Peretz might specifically be able to attract, um, but aren't normal labor voters. Um, labor has a base, um, people who believe in what they're about. And I think what happened in under Avi Gabay, and I think even a little under Isaac Herzog, I think we're, we forget that he wasn't uh, so well loved, um, is that uh, they managed to piss off their own base. Um, they they were to to have the leader of the party talking about things that they don't support. You know, you talked about things that uh, you think Israelis do. I think it's fair to say that, but but Bushi was definitely... Sure, I, I mean, but you're talking about how loved Avi Gabay was. We're setting the bar extremely low. We're not. Um, there's no bar. Right, so so you, you, even even better. Yeah, that, that's what I would say with that. But again, uh, and this is what I'm inclined to say about the younger uh, leaders. Um, and of course, Amir Peretz isn't, uh, you know, he's in his early 60s. Um, but, uh, these two leaders are in their thirties. Um, you know, eventually they're going to take the reins of the party. 
if not in this election, then in the future, or someone of their generation. Um, and if it's going to be around, and if it's going to rebound in any capacity, then someone needs to make sure that it's answering to what, uh, you know, what younger voters are going to want. And, um, yeah, we didn't discuss the possibility of, obviously, in Israel, a, a military uh, figure entering the fray, and I mean... Uh, yeah, like uh, Yair Golan or, or Ehud Barak. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know about... I'm not going to go to the Barak. I mean, there's talk of also Barak forming his own uh, uh, part, like, or not forming, like, kind of bringing his party, Atzma'ut, kind of out of out of the ground and resurrecting it to run. Yeah, because At- Atzma'ut did such good things for the Israeli left uh, when he first formed it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, his, his idea, I think, is that he would want to join and then eventually to merge with labor, and I don't even know, but uh, obviously, I think, uh, with a great deal of respect to Rehud Barak, I think that uh, I, I don't see that he really has a significant base of support, um, and I think his, my personal view is I think that his, the most effective thing he can do is just kind of... Co- comment from the outside and be kind of an advocate uh, from the outside. A moment that is uh, still fresh in people's memories is the uh, is Aviga by how he dumped Tsipi Livni, of course. And it will be interesting to see if Tsipi Livni, if she does anything. I mean, there's not real talk about it, but I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't rule that out completely. And um... But that's the situation. Right. That's the situation on the the left, center left. Um, there's an interesting development. We, talk, we talked a lot about parties that were near the threshold, under the threshold. So we had Orly Levy's Gesher party, uh, which had a very disappointing result. Uh, I think just under a hundred thousand votes. Um, Think of that. I forget the exact number between seventy and ninety thousand, something like that. But uh, remember, uh, I think I even wrote an article about her being uh, the possible kingmaker, being in Libra because she was polling consistently for months at about five, six seats. Um, but she kind of lost traction. So there's been an interesting uh, talk. This actually came out today about possibly Alona Barkat, who was. Uh, appointed by Bennett and Shaquille to be number three in the new right. There's, posi- there's talk of her and Orly Levy uh, joining as part of uh, uh, Gesher. It was a very, like, that new right, Alona Barkat thing, was, was, it seemed odd because Alona Barkat had never, she's not an ideologically, like, right-wing uh, person. It was kind of just, like, it was interesting. I mean, she comes from, she owns the Hapol Bersheva soccer team. It kind of seemed like a soccer signing. Like she, they, they were signing somebody who had like like a superstar who's popular, but had really nothing to do with the like with the party. So it like made it made little sense. This would make a lot more sense politically. Um, interesting to see if if it happens and if it has any uh, effect. I mean, Orly Levy. I think from from the polls, we, there is. Uh, she has like a p- electoral potential, but with the votes going towards bigger parties and that tendency, it will be hard for her. But this this could be something interesting to, to watch. 
Also, is she no longer, Orly Levy, is she no longer sanctioned for leaving Yisrael Beitenu? Is that only for the election immediately uh, following um, following her? Because uh, just to, to, to backtrack a little, um, those who followed the last election may recall, Orly Levy, has start, uh, Orly Levy started her Gesher party after leaving Yisrael Beitenu, the party of Avigdor Lieberman, while there was still a sit-in Knesset. And um, because of that, uh, the the legal consequences of that was that she couldn't be um, brought into an existing party. Um, exactly, which is why there was so much talk about her potentially joining Boyle White. But yeah, I think she's free to join uh, whatever party now um, because of where this is a new election cycle. Just like right, because she she couldn't she couldn't join she could have joined Chosin Le Israel when it was just Chosin. But she couldn't join Blue and White because it included Yeshatid, which was an existing party. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Sorry, yeah, you got that right. Um, and so, yeah, just this new election, she's she she's eligible, just like um, Yair Golan is eligible to join politics, even though his uh, cooling off period is uh, it, it's only been I think about a year, but it's cut short because of uh, uh, these uh, upcoming elections. Um, so yeah, that's the situation. And then, I mean, on the right wing, there's still talk about. I mean, I think Naftali Bennett uh, and Faglin are trying to like figure things out. And there's obviously uh, the queen of the queen of the right is uh, Ayala Chaked, and uh, it looks like uh, she will not be in the Likud. Um, per per Sarah Netanyahu's orders. Um, the other queen of the north, of course. <laughs> um, queen of the right, not of the north. <laughs> uh, too much Game of Thrones. And uh, and we'll have to see. I mean, there's a good chance United, like that she'll join this United right-wing party uh, list, but I think she'll only do it if she's at the top. Um, and I'm not sure that either Smotrich or Parrot would give that up. So it's going to be interesting. Um she has, uh, she has like a base of support, and she would wherever she goes. She, I mean, the odds are that she'll give that party a boost. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, and there's one more item that we should discuss, which is the restoration of the joint list. People will recall that from 2015, the four Arab political parties, Khadash, Tal, uh, Balad, and the United Arab List, all ran on one ticket. That was after Avigdor Lieberman advocated for raising the electoral threshold, which threatened to keep some of the Arab parties out of the Knesset. Um, and so... That was the impetus for forming the joint list then. The joint list broke apart because there was disagreement over these rotation agreements. The different parties that made up the joint list had these rotation agreements to balance out representation among the joint tickets, constituent factions, and uh, they could never really agree on them. There were controversies. Uh, there was uh, Basel Gatas who, who went to, to jail for smuggling cell phones to security prisoners. Uh, the whole thing was a mess. It, it was not a happy marriage. Um, but then you get to the 2019 or April 2019 election, I should say, and Arab turnout dips below 49%. Um, Were they security prisoners or Hamas operatives? 
No, no, no. You may, so you might be thinking, not, not of Hamas, but uh, there was Azmi Bashar, the previous head of Balad, fled Israel in 2007 because he was suspected of having links to Hezbollah. So the, and the, these Azmi Bashar and also Basel Gatas, uh, more recent uh, controversy, are both from Balad specifically. Um, in any case, um, there, there was disagreement over all these rotation agreements uh, that kept the factions together and so it was a mess and so they they ended up splitting up and Hadash and Tal ran as one party and Balad and the United Arab List ran as another and what you had happen was Arab voter turnout dipped below 50 percent and there were a lot of reasons for that there is a disaffection uh, probably over the nation state law um, there were attempts at voter intimidation and voter suppression. We saw uh, Likud contractors at some of the polling stations of Arab communities uh, with cameras, uh, clearly violating the spirit of a, of a private ballot or secret ballot um, in an attempt to deter people from voting. And there was a sense of disappointment, I think, with the breakup of the joint list. Um, so with the joint list coming back together... Um, you know, I think that there's a potential for our voter turnout to go up, which is a good thing. Uh, but I think the return of the joint list is also a bad thing because um, the likelihood that Hadash and Tal would work with a center-left or center-Zionist party is slim. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility. And uh, you may know that in Haifa, uh, the labor-affiliated mayor appointed a deputy mayor from Hadash. And now then there ended up being a whole controversy because they had made some comments about Hamas and Hezbollah uh, that, that were more uh, conciliatory towards those groups. Um, but the point is that they, they appointed this Hadash deputy mayor and even Avi Gabay, the, the pseudo right-wing then labor leader, came out in defense of the mayor of Haifa. Um, so the point is that, uh, you know, this was on a relatively small scale, but still a major city. Um, that partnership between, say, a party like Khadash and the mainstream left and center Zionist parties is not impossible. Partnership between Balad and those parties, Balad that, like we mentioned, had its former leader flee the country because he had uh, alleged Hezbollah links, had a member of Knesset relatively recently uh, go to jail over bringing cell phones to these security prisoners, um, or just the outgoing head of the party, before uh, the April election, saying that uh, Balad is part of the Palestinian national movement and not the Israeli left, uh, whereas Khadash would probably or, or Tal would probably say that they're part of both, but uh, you know Balad saying specifically that they're not Israeli. Um, there, there's no way, you know, even if the possibility of Khadash and uh, Jewish partnership is is not so high, it's still feasible in theory. There's no way. There's no way that any Zionist party is going to sit with Balad. And if they're running on the same ticket as Hadash, even if it's out of necessity, I think in the long run, that's not a great thing because it makes it more difficult uh, for an Arab party to sit with the Zionist center and left parties. And of course, they're not guiltless either. Uh, Kahol Levan ran on uh, saying they're not going to sit with Arab parties, period, not specifying we won't sit with Balad. But notably uh, at, the, at the democracy, at the, like, the democracy rally in Tel Aviv, uh, Ayman Uda, Kachovan event, like they let Ayman Uda speak, which was something that was... Right, was, right only, only after there Only was after pressure from merits, but I, mean, but I mean still... Gantz, to his credit, called Ayman Uda personally... And, and invited him and encouraged him to speak after this controversy played out. So he took some responsibility for it and um, certainly conducted himself, I think, in a way that was better than the last time. Um, again, 
I, I think that if there were if there is a situation in which Netanyahu is unseated in this election, it's not going to be through uh, the help of the Arab parties. It's going to be through a national unity government involving Lieberman, which is unfortunate because I think that in in the long run, uh, someone like Ayman Oda is better for for Israel than Avigdor Lieberman is. And it may be necessary just to to rebound some of the Arab political participation and get people participating in elections and in national politics. That will be it will be interesting to see how uh, now that the, the this the Arab party is reunited, how how merits perform in uh, uh, among Arab voters uh, because I th- right because about a quarter. A qu- about a quarter of the Arab voters who ended up voting in the last election voted for merit. The question is, uh, was that because of how Arab, like the Arab parties were split, or was that because that there was actually uh, Isra- Israeli Arabs or uh, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel? Uh, d- did they see that what Meretz is doing actually was what like something that they supported and wanted to vote for, or was it kind of like? A protest vote against uh, not there being Arab unity, um, but I think it's the it's the first. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I know that Merits will probably put a lot of effort in in getting uh, even increasing that turnout. Um, so we'll we'll, ha- we'll have to we'll have to see how how that goes. Yeah, that, that's why I think it's a shame that this idea of merits being reconstituted as a Jewish Arab party or a party at least with Jewish Arab leadership with this idea of Mosi Raz and the Sawi Frej running together. Um, I think it's unfortunate that it didn't pan out because I think that it did a lot for merits and it didn't really mean changing the party that much. I mean, merits people still talk about as a Jewish party or as a Zionist left party. But if you look at their list, um, you know, they only got four seats, but their top five had to... Uh, two Arab politicians, um, including Asawi Frej. Um, he ended up being the only one of the two to make it into the Knesset, uh, but the fifth spot was not that unrealistic. So essentially, uh, in Meretz's top five posi- positions, 40% of the candidates were Arab, and people still talk about Meretz as a Jewish party. Also, 40% of the votes that... Uh... Right, now, to flip it around, Hadash markets itself explicitly as an Arab Jewish party, and they have one Jewish candidate, who, whose positions are far more radical, by the way, than I think his Arab colleagues in Khadash are. Speaking about Ofer Kasif, uh, so yeah, no, it reminds me of Kud having like a uh, putting a Druze person on there, like just completely, like just in the in the Likud that really is about uh, Druze uh, Jewish partnership. Khadash will only take Jews that are not specifically not Zionists. Let's backtrack a little because I, I, I disagree with that characterization. My point is that uh, is not that Khadash doesn't have any kind of legitimate Jewish support. It's just that Khadash is marketed as an Arab Jewish party for having one Jewish candidate, whereas Meretz had two Arab candidates, and we still think of it as a Jewish party, not as a Jewish Arab party. So they identify as a Zionist party. And I don't, uh, you could have a, uh, like, just because, uh, like, I think, like, by definition, the vast majority of of Arabs in Israel, like, of Israeli Arabs, like, they will never define... Or not non-Zionist, sure. No, no, but but the other thing that I'll say about the the, uh, Jewish members of Khadash is that I don't think it's just a fig leaf. I think it's a product of what Khadash is, which is that Khadash is itself an alliance or a merger of other parties. Of the Communist Party. Right, the Communist Party, Maki, and so the the Jewish member of Khadash tends to be uh, 
the the Maki representative within Hadash. So, for example, Dov Chenin, who was the, the Jewish member uh, before Ofer Kasif, and it was far more moderate, and, and even among people who didn't agree with him was, was as I understand, fairly well respected in the Knesset. Um, but he was he was also the head of Maki, of the Communist Party. And Ma- Maki, uh, you know, there, there are uh, Arab leftist organizations and Arab communist organizations, but Maki was the kind of the Jew, it was the Israeli Communist Party uh, and had Arab involvement, but it, you know, kind of had its Jewish communist roots. And I think that's where that comes in. A negative about the, all these Arab parties joining up is, I mean, I think we talked about this before. You have like, just imagine a scenario where you had every Zionist party from Meretz to like the United Right Wing List joining up. I'll give you a concrete example of of one. There was a story I remember reading. I think that the AP picked up um, when they formed the joint list initially four years ago. You know, we've been ragging on Balad. So let's talk about United Arab List or Ram. Uh, the, the United Arab List is a conservative religious Islamist party. It's the, the southern branch of what's called the Islamic movement in Israel. The northern branch is, uh, I think, a banned extremist organization from the government's perspective. But anyways, conservative religious Islamic movement, right? Hadash are a bunch of secular leftists. Um, and uh, you had apparently, according to the story, Hadash supporters asking Ayman Oda if uh, they're still about gender equality because that's, you know, something that people on the left would be supporting um, and something that they care about. And, you know, uh, Aida Tuma Suleiman, uh, one of the Khadash MKs who was elected in April, is is uh, big on her women's activism. Um, and Ayman Oda was in this awkward position of, you know, having to be asked, do you, are you still supportive of these gender equality issues? Because he's working with a conservative religious party, um, you know. To, to think about, like you said, all the Jewish parties sitting together, to think about UTJ running with merits, essentially. Um, and, and maybe someone approaching Tamar Zandberg and saying, well, what's Meretz's position on gender issues or LGBT issues? Because you're, you're working with this ultra-Orthodox party that certainly isn't very forward on either of those. So, you know, they didn't break up because of ideology. They broke up again. I think it's important to remember they broke up because of these rotation agreements. But nevertheless... It's a mess. It may, it may be it's it's what's going to get the Arab voter turnout up, but I don't think in the long run it's a viable, um, it's a viable entity. But uh, with that, um, you know, we we've uh, milked a lot out of a relatively slow week in Israeli election news. So whatever happens with Israeli political news, whatever happens with the election, whatever I order the next time I'm at McDonald's, if I go back to McDonald's ever, we'll find out about it on Israel Policy Pod. So thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next week.